it's becoming more and more important that brands almost build little cults around them. This is why Porsches continue to be successful. Mm. You know, this is why Rolex is successful. This is why Glossier is successful. It's making sure the brand becomes a part of your identity and you feel like you're part of something. Welcome back to How He Does It, Season 2, Episode 4. On today's episode, we have James Nord. James is the co-founder and CEO of Four, an eight-year-old tech company helping brands and influencers work together more efficiently. As seen in the New York Times this month, Four launched an ambassador management platform that will help brands find and effectively work with their most influential customers. James, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Always good to see you. Always good to see you. And on my way here, I was thinking, we've seen each other at events, we're always around each other, but I'm not sure that we've ever really had a long conversation ever about anything. I I don't think so, which is a a tragedy and and one that luckily we're reversing today. Exactly. Everything happens for a reason. (laughs) It's all timing. Absolutely. I want to start with congratulating you on the New York Times. Thank you. Amazing. What a fantastic piece. So fun. Um, For those who don't know, do you want to talk a bit about that and your reaction? Yeah. So we're... uh, we were launching a new product called AMP, the Ambassador Management Platform. And, you know, I've always wanted to be in the New York Times. Any business owner, I think that's kind of like on the bucket list, yeah. right? And um, I've been, you know, friendly with Taylor Lorenz for years and admired her work. Um, and so I think, you know, it was like, okay, if if in a dream world, who writes about this piece and, and what's the story they, they kind of tell about it? And it was you know, Taylor, who I think is, you know, probably one of, if not the most powerful tech reporter in the world right now, um, writing about, you know, this tool that, that you know, while small now, because we just launched it, I think has the chance to dramatically change the industry in a way that, that needs to happen, brings some transparency to it, brings some uh, professionalism to how you know, brands specifically are finding influencers to work with, um, how fair and open access to that, those opportunities are, um, and kind of how they, they manage the ambassador programs that we run. So, so yeah, we were fortunate to have Taylor write a piece. Uh, I guess that came out a couple of weeks ago and then it made it into the Sunday paper, which was also very cool. It's amazing. Um, and you know, the New York times is still really powerful i think absolutely Uh, a lot of traditional press hasn't been you know you'll get into an article and you see a couple of leads come in and and, you know a little spike in traffic but nothing huge but i think the times is still one of those places that really has the power to to shift um things in the business so it's been it's been an exciting fun couple of weeks have you seen it effectively change anything for maybe putting more eyeballs i mean definitely more eyeballs i mean i think we had you know three or four times as many inbound requests uh, over that, you know, 10 days than we usually would. Yeah. Traffic was tripled probably. Um, and you know, like people I haven't talked to in 20 years, you know, who I went to high school with are just like, Whoa, I saw you in the New York (laughs) times. What's going on? (laughs) So that's, you know, that stuff is fun as well, but it's, it's, you know, I think what's also really cool is the company's gotten bigger. Um, we're now nearly 60 people and, uh, I think a lot of the staff for them, you know, to be able to 
to kind of have their parents see that and things like that. It, it, it like, it gives everyone this like tangible thing that feels like, Oh, okay. Like we're in a different space now. Right. A lot of times the, the growth, especially of a B2B company, which, you know, just naturally doesn't get as much attention as a B2C business. Right. Um, it's hard to feel tangibly, you know, the impacts that you're having because you don't, you know, I used to work in B2C marketing and I remember I worked for this company and they had a store in the West village. And sometimes I could just walk into the store and it would make it feel like, okay, this is where I work. This is cool. Like yeah. there's, there's random people here. I don't know <laughs> who are shopping and buying things because we, you know, have built this brand that makes them want to do that. It's, it's hard with B2C to do that. And so I think to have that, you know, something tangible, uh, especially in a year where, you know, half of our staff has never been inside the office because uh, we've grown so much in the last year. So to feel that, to hold a paper and to see your name in print, your company's name in print, I think was was a, a cool milestone for everyone. It's like you're doing okay. Yeah. yeah. In your yeah. vision board, did you see anything like this happening just with growing the company and seeing how prestigious it is all over the world? I, you know, I mean, look, we're still so, if I look at the ambition, still so early in that, right? That, that, I'm sure you feel this as well sometimes, right? It's 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 hard to celebrate the milestones along the way when your eventual goal is, is so much bigger. Right. You know, if I look at the influencer space and where it is right now and the way people are talking about it, you know, we were the first influencer marketing platform in the world. So when I started the business, nobody had any idea what we were talking about. There weren't a lot of people out there publishing things on the internet every day. And so... I, you know, there's this Keith Richards quote I love from his book Life, where people ask him, like, you know, did you ever think, like, you're the, you're the Rolling Stones, right? Like, did you did you ever, like, think um, and dream that, like, this would happen? He's like, yeah, I, I dreamed it would happen every day. I just never thought it would. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. of course, this is what I hoped, like, especially as I think of influencers, like, and the central place they're taking in culture yes, like this is exactly what I had hoped it hap- would happen. I just didn't actually think it would happen. Or that you'd be the driving force behind that essentially. Well, one of them, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of great companies and, and really, you know, for and, and other kind of early companies, DBA, Socialite, like really pivotal in creating the industry. Mm-hmm. But um, it was going to happen regardless it was influencers you know it's 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 the work that y'all do that's created the industry we're just helping monetize it structure it add some you know uh add some like rules and goalposts to it but um but it's it's the strength of of kind of what y'all have been able to do as creators and influencers that have have driven the you know the industry and so we're just super happy to be along for the ride it's super interesting. What were you doing before this? So that feels like a long time ago. Cause I think I started the company when I was 20, uh, like 27 or 28 and I, you know, mediocre jobs. I never had a great job. Honestly, I always joke now that like, I definitely couldn't get hired at four. Um, if like I was 26 or 27 and for me, the turning point was Tumblr. You know, I got on Tumblr early. I got a following early. Because we were doing photography? Yeah, I was doing photography. I was just walking around with a camera. You know, back in 2009, 2010, professional photographers would not upload their photos to the internet. Absolutely not. Why? Because, yeah, they they, they worried about copyright. They worried right, about people true. stealing them. 
you know, this is the time when like professional photographers were watermarking their photos and mm -hmm. putting them on Flickr, <laughs> but like Flickr wouldn't let you download them, you know. So, so I was out there doing something not many people were doing and, and I ended up being one of the most followed photographers on Tumblr and, and I wanted to translate that into working with fashion brands. I, you know, I wanted to try and shoot fashion. I've always loved clothes and, you know, that I would email these companies because at the time, you know, Prada, a company I loved growing up, you know, in 2009, their website was a, a, a campaign image yeah. that said Prada and that was it. That was their website, you know? And so fashion brands did not have social media. They didn't speak to their customers. They were built on exclusivity. And I think that like that shift in luxury fashion is crazy, right? That like they used to do six shoots a year and that was it. Yeah. That's how they communicated with the customer. Too. Yeah. yeah. And you either interacted with the brand in that way and seeing the ads or you walked into the store. That was their only touch point. And so, you know, they weren't ready to have that conversation with customers. They weren't on social. I wanted to try and, you know, bring those brands into Tumblr. Uh, I would cold email the like CEOs. Nobody would ever get back to me, it didn't <laughs> <Of> work. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I met Rich Tong who was working at Tumblr and was doing the Tumblr Fashion Week and I wanted to get included in that. And uh, so I took him out to lunch. That, you know, the next class was full or so he says. And, uh, but a couple of days later he said, Hey, Oscar de la Renta needs someone to shoot a fashion night out party. If you remember fashion night oh out. Oh my God. Insane. Last and three seasons or yeah, two. <laughs> yeah. It was very brief. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And, um, you know, do you want to shoot this thing? And so I shot that event for Oscar and, and it's the first time I'd ever been paid to take a photograph. And, you know, my life changed like pretty dramatically after that. And, uh, opportunities started coming in and, and, you know, Rich who had, been really well connected, wrote one email that changed my life. And I saw brands out there posting on their Facebook, personal Facebook pages, like, you know, people that worked at brands saying, hey, I need a, a men's blogger in Chicago. Does anyone know anyone or someone in LA? And I thought this is a really like silly way to organize an industry. <laughs> and there needs to be a platform that can help brands find, you know, these individuals. And then coming from marketing, I was like, you know, if we can take what, what these bloggers were doing and put numbers behind them that felt like other types of marketing, mm -hmm. that maybe one day these people can get paid to do what they're doing and it can become this new kind of media. And so that was, you know, that was the premise of the business. Um, and it really came out of a really personal thing that happened between Rich and I, which was like, I was trying to get opportunities. I didn't know anyone. And then like he connected me with someone, life changed pretty quickly and felt like, okay, we should be able to build technology that can do this for more people. And with this life change, you're still doing photography? So I was, you know, at the time I was, I never quit my job and did it full time because again, you know, I don't remember, when did you start? Oh my God, uh, 2010, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. So you're at this time, right? And and money just didn't really change hands. and mm -hmm. and you know, at the time being asked to come backstage and shoot something like that was, that was the payment. And so it wasn't something that you could support yourself with. Right. But I was living a life that felt really cool. Yeah. You know, I was getting invited to events and dinners and, you know, I did like one of the first brand influencer trips ever, which was Puma 
flew us out to Abu Dhabi to shoot a yacht race. Incredible. Uh, which was very cool. But like there was no, you know, no one's getting paid for this stuff. And, and so, yeah, so I continued to shoot as I did my day jobs. And I, I continued to shoot when I started four because we very quickly ran out of money and, and couldn't afford to pay me. And so I would go out and, and book, you know, at the time I then gotten good enough that I could charge brands. I would, you know, book these gigs and I would use that money to pay our employees. Um, so for, for years, yeah. you know, we were kind of propping the company up on like partially whatever money we could get from brands and also like whatever Sweat money equity. I could yeah. get from photography, which was a painful but interesting time. <laughs> How did you go about building your company or deciding I'm actually going to do this and move forward with this? You know, it's hard to, it's some, some ways hard to remember, you know, like the, the idea just kind of snowballs. Like we started talking about it and it felt like a good idea. And then Rich, you know, my co-founder, he uh, was a designer and a developer. So he found out, okay, yes, through the APIs, Tumblr and Google Analytics, which were most important there, we can pull that data in automatically into this platform. And that felt like a big milestone. And then, you know, we started, we pulled together a deck and, and you know, went out and started trying to raise money and raised $250,000 like pretty easily. And then like, it was just, you know, train was leaving the station. It was just happening. So it didn't feel like a explicit decision. I had, you know, before that had a lot of small kind of silly side project businesses I started. And, you know, I had a tie company. I had a record label. I had a photography magazine. Amazing. Uh, all this stuff that like failed pretty, um, pretty like spectacularly. And do you think it's because quickly. you were focused on this other thing that you were more passionate about? I think that like... At the time, I was just trying to say yes and do things, you know, and I, I like I found this kid uh, on Tumblr who made this like throwback soul music. Uh, his name is Nick Waterhouse. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I love your music. Do you have any more? And he's like, I have a lot more written, but I can't afford to make it. And I was like, what would it cost? He's like, I need 10 grand. I was like, I have eleven thousand dollars in my savings account. Like, I'll pay for it. Oh, my God. Let's start a record label, <laughs> you know? Um, and so we did that, and he's gone off and become successful, but I didn't want to run a record label, and, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was yeah. way over my head. And the tie company, I, you know, I had had this Jack Spade bag, uh, the ones that used to be, like, vinyl dipped, remember? Mm -hmm. Like, the canvas with the vinyl dip on the bottom. And I was like, oh, I'd like to, like, vinyl dip ties. So I found somebody that could screen print vinyl onto silk and I made ties and had like two runs of that, but then like creating physical product was a nightmare. And so I was like, I yeah. don't want to do this. And they, <laughs> those things very much felt like fun little side projects. You know, I was kind of like flexing a bit of the creative side. I, I had a following on Tumblr that I could sell this stuff to. So I kind of had this like built in market, but like, four or you was four card when we launched and when we talked about it it just it was much a it was a much bigger idea you know i was never going to devote my life to a tie company right um this felt like okay this is this is maybe the real thing this thing's much bigger mm -hmm. um and and it, was it because of how many people you got involved or is this just personal i think it was just the idea impression. okay you know if you look at like what in the startup world they would say like total addressable market you know, right. how big is the market? It was just a much bigger idea. And I think that I've always wanted to run a 
big company. I've always wanted to start something that was impactful. And, and, and so I was just kind of like searching for that thing. And this one, you know, felt like, oh, this, this is a, this could be, if we get it right, a, a pretty fundamental shift in advertising and marketing and media. And I was living it as a, you know, early Content influencer. Creator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at the time in 2009, 2010, I had, you know, 120, 130,000 followers, but on Tumblr, that was, it was huge, you know, and it's still huge. Yeah. And so I, I felt, I felt that, you know, like to me, I could see like what myself and, and my early like blogger friends, Jamie Beck and the guys from street etiquette, like I could see the impact that group was having. And again, it was just still so small. Tumblr was such a small place. Yeah. Um, but it just felt like that could be where the world was, was going. And that this was a really, really big idea. And that Rich and I at the time were really well suited to go after it. Um, and so, you know, that money hit our account when we did, you know, when we raised that first 250 K and I, you know, I quit my job, which wasn't easy. I, I definitely felt like, okay, I'm like, I'm stepping out of this like path that I'm on. Right. And stepping into the like abyss here. And you feel strongly about it. You feel strongly about it, but you still feel like scared. I think that there's this, um, there's sometimes a little too much like, you know, when people look back on their experiences, I think they, they tend to uh, inject more bravery and bravado into their own story. Right. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have that. Even though we had the money and it felt like a big idea. Yeah. Again, you know, you were part of the industry back then. It was very different than it is today. 100%. It, it was not clear that this was the future. And, uh, and I was, you know, stepping out of a job that paid me and paid my health insurance yeah. into something that I had no idea how to do. I didn't, you know, I never actually run a business. I'd had some little side projects, but yeah, it was definitely scary, but, uh, you're doing it and you've done it. Yeah. I'm curious, you, do you think that brands choosing to back you and force because you kind of started off as an influencer, so they had you as a model to base what the business would be like? I think in the early days, that was really helpful. You know, we were able to get, I think before launch, we had about 1500 people that signed up and, you know, I'd had some, yeah, I'd had some kind of validation from working with Oscar for so long and I'd been operating as their kind of in-house photographer and work I'd done for Puma, like that helped. But, but at the time, one, it was mostly fashion brands that were working with bloggers, mm -hmm. um, mostly high-end luxury fashion. And that was a really small community. You know, there were 30 or 40 people that were doing this stuff. And so we knew, Rich knew all of them through Tumblr because, right. you know, most brands, their first social account they had was a Tumblr. And if they're a fashion brand, Rich probably designed that Tumblr page and he was probably the person that convinced them to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, he had, you know, a lot more experience and a lot more contacts than I had. And so, you know, it was, I don't want to say it was easy, but like we, when we launched, you know, our partners were Puma, Oscar de la Renta, Kate Spade, and Lucky Magazine nice. were our launch partners, you know, and, 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 and those were, you know, seen as, as really innovative brands, but we knew Eva, you know, John Januzzi was at Lucky Magazine. Uh, Erica Behrman was at Oscar de la Renta. Like it feels it, like such a different era. It, yeah. Insane. And it was just like, these were our, 
our friends, you know, and, and, um, and so that first, you know, 20 clients was pretty easy. Uh, it got pretty hard after, after that though. <laughs> I can imagine. I'm sure. And I guess part of my question too, is going to be at what point do you decide that you're no longer going to be the influencer and you're going to fully step into this role of a business owner? Because yeah. you don't do ads or anything today at all, but Correct. you still have yeah. a following. So for me, the bigger question was, do I become a photographer or do I start this business? And, you know, I, I could have made a pretty good living as a photographer, certainly in the short term, much better than what Forecard could pay <laughs> yeah. me and more than I was making in my job. The thing for me was that I, I didn't and never did and, 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 continue not to find uh photography is hugely intellectually stimulating i'm not an artist i'm just not you know i don't have an artist's mentality and i think when i met actual artists like jamie beck who wakes up and wants to create something with a camera that wasn't me i, I had like a decent eye and it was a cool lifestyle and I was pretty good at it and I had fun doing it, but it was never, you know, it was really never super fulfilling. And so I felt like for me, photography was always a means to an end. It pulled me out of these mediocre jobs that I had mm -hmm. and, you know, gave me a little bit of like recognition in an industry that I was interested in being a part of. And it was always going to just allow me to go into something else. I didn't know if that was going to be working social strategy at an ad agency or starting my own business. But um, I think I pretty quickly realized that like I was never going to be the best in the world at photography or anywhere near that. And so for me, I was never going to have like super fulfilling life pursuing that because I didn't have what it took to be great. And like, you know, I was self-aware enough to know that and to feel like, you know, running a business, am I going to be the best in the world? I don't know. That's really hard. But I think this specific business, running a business that can help legitimize the influencer, what influencers and bloggers are doing, um, that it felt like I could be one of the best in the world at. And so it, 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 that decision was actually pretty easy. Incredible. Um, talking about the progression of what four has become, I believe originally it was supposed to be a, an influencer marketing agency. You work with brands to do events and roll out campaigns. And now it's sort of gone into data and, you know, analytics and brands can take a look at that and decide what they want to do about booking an influencer or working with one to now then launching the ambassador program. How has this played towards your business for you? How did you come about arcing or evolving in such manners? So we, you know, we started as a technology company and uh, the time DBA and Socialite existed and they were, you know, talent agencies. And, and we felt like there was space in the market for a piece of technology that could kind of do a bit of what those companies were doing. And for me, data was always central to what we were doing because again, like I felt like to pull real money into the space, we had to have real analytics. And when we launched, when we built it in 2012 and launched in early 2013, Tumblr and blogs were 
the most important thing. Instagram was a joke. It was a photo editing app more than anything else. And so, you know, if you found a Tumblr you liked, you didn't know how many followers they had. It was private. If you Mm -hmm. found a blog you liked, you didn't know how much traffic it got. And so as a brand, you'd have to reach out to that person, ask them for a press kit. They'd send you a PDF with a number on it that you don't know if it's real or not. And so the kind of central idea of, of for the beginning was, was giving brands that transparency and that data before they reached out to say, okay, I'm looking for menswear bloggers in New York City that talk about fashion. Here's 50 of them. Here's their followers. Here's their engagement. You were physically collecting the information. Yeah, it was coming in directly from those platforms. I see. Um, And every single day it was updated uh, automatically. So you're getting clean data. And I knew that that was going to be important to getting brands to spend actual money. So actually, that side of the business has always been central to what we do. Now, we started running campaigns like two years into the company because brands started to spend real money in the space. And it felt like the most complex problems in influencer marketing were around executing campaigns. How Mm -hmm. do you do it efficiently? How do you do it effectively? How do you report on that success and understand what's working, what's not? Those were the most complex problems and, and to build technology to address them, I had to understand them and the team had to understand them. So it felt like we have to run these campaigns. And so we started doing that. And that business has, has, you know, gotten quite big as well. But now, you know, we are building technology for ourselves to execute these campaigns. I think we have probably 90 happening this week. And then that technology eventually flows into our SaaS products that our clients use. Not dissimilar from, you know, Ferrari's race F1 program. They create technology there. It goes into their supercars, yeah, and and a couple of years later, it goes into all of their cars, and then a couple of years later, it goes into Porsche, BMWs, other things, and then eventually, it makes its way across the entire car industry. Mm-hmm. Um, campaigns is that for us? You know, it's it's where we're building our most powerful tech, and then it kind of all trickles into our our products we build for clients. What about the new ambassador program? How does that differ from what you're yeah, doing? Yeah, so that came out of um, something we did for Sephora called Sephora Squad. Uh, it's actually running right now. And, um, you know, we told our pitch to Sephora was instead of going out and casting this campaign in the traditional way, which, you know, for those of you who don't know how this works, generally you get a budget and you say, okay, that budget you know, we're going to get 20 influencers at this following. The brand says, that sounds great. You bring them 40 to 60 influencers that you think would be good. They pick, you know, they pick the ones they like. You go out, you try and negotiate with them and and onboard them into the campaign. That's how 99.999% of campaigns work. So what we did instead is say, let's make people apply. So we're giving, you know, Sephora's got you know, good amount of budget here. They've never done an ambassador program for a year. Let's open this up to everyone and say, if you've ever wanted to work with Sephora, this is your chance. And so you would go to sephorasquad.com. You would apply. There was a bunch of questions you had to answer about, you know, some about do you have dry skin or oily skin, you know, things that would help them understand where you'd fit in their stack of products. Right. Um, But also what's Sephora mean to you? What's beauty? What's, you know, what is, why is makeup important to you and you know the response was incredible we had over twenty thousand people apply 
and the 23 influencers we eventually picked, we wouldn't have picked a single one of them had we done it in a traditional way because we wouldn't have found them. And I think that, you know, it was a big light bulb moment for us about how brands find the partners that they work with and the power of going out to your community first and saying, hey, if you've ever wanted to work with us, here's your chance. Right. And in, you know, maybe how narrow a lot of the thinking is um, in the way that these campaigns are cast because they're usually very much based on relationships. Um, and so it's a, it's hard for, you know, influencers that, aren't in New York or LA that don't have those relationships that don't have the agents to break into the space. And we saw that when you, you know, created this even playing field, how amazing the the talent that comes in can be. And so AMP is just a kind of shrunk down version of Sephora squad. It, It allows brands to create essentially career pages to say, if you're an influencer or you're a content creator and you want to work with us, here's where you can do that. And that's always open and not specifically for a particular campaign. Now, the 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 difference right now is it's up to the brand to share it, right? And so, you know, some brands have it on their homepage. And that's my thought is that eventually most consumer brands will have .com slash ambassadors. Right. And that's where you apply to work with them because this isn't going anywhere. And, you know, I think for for creators as you're, such as yourself, all things being equal, you would want to work with the brands you love. Yeah, feels more authentic that way too on the brand side, yeah. like working with people you know for sure care about the product. Exactly, but like how do you, and that can't be every project, right? Of course, but how do you get in touch? You know, I mean, you know, you get to a certain size and and such as yourself and, and most of your business is inbound and that's great. And the more work you do, the more other brands see you, the more they reach out to you, the easier it gets to get those opportunities. But if you're like, this is a specific brand. I want to work with this brand. It's still kind of hard to know how to get in front of them. And so, you know, our hope is that brands will start to share these pages more. They'll start to create these pages more uh, and use it to, to you know, cast at least a portion of the, the work that they're doing. Because, yeah, when you, when you really are passionate about a brand, it, it does, it, it's easier for the creator, you know, because you have a real actual story about it. Uh, the content's better. It's better for the audience because they believe it. And, you know, it's better for the industry because the, the, you know, the existential threat to influencer marketing is that the idea that it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's getting really expensive. Uh, it's getting really transactional. And a lot of it's not working. And so if that, if we continue down that path of doing transactional influencer work, that the audience knows is inauthentic and doesn't land, then people will stop investing in it. And it could collapse pretty quickly. I mean, this has happened in a lot of different types of advertising. When we started the business, native advertising was all the rage. Yeah. You know, you probably haven't heard native advertising in, you know, five years. And so our hope is that this can also preserve the longevity of of the space by creating more authentic relationships. Outside of the transactional partnerships, do you think there are any other reasons why brands would believe that influencer marketing doesn't work? For example, I have friends who have incredible reach and I think that they have very engaged audiences, but there's some times where 
ads are put out and it doesn't perform in the way the brand believes that it should. And, you know, sometimes it has to do with just the timing of the ad, people just not needing the product at the time, or just being on a platform that is so saturated with the content where you feel like even if you take two seconds to read something, you might miss out on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but is there anything on your side that you can share that you see yeah. to experience some skepticism? Absolutely. I mean, one is just that like influencers are, I think, the most powerful brand discovery tool in the world right now. You are often what we call first click, not last click in the funnel. Mm -hmm. And it is really, really hard to track sales based off what you're doing. I know you do a lot of work with watch companies, right? Okay. So let's say you've got a $3,500 watch and you post about it and I think it's beautiful, but like, I'm not going to buy it. Cause like, I'm not so expensive. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> buying $3,500 watches on a whim. Now let's say I then see that watch three or four more times over the next couple of months. And I start following the brand and I follow the brand for a couple of years and I'm interacting with them and I continue to see more and more people posting about it. And I'm walking through Soho and I pop into the boutique and I, you know, try it on and, and, it looks great. And now I'm thinking, okay, I've got a bonus coming up at the end of the year. Maybe I'm going to buy this watch. And I do in December. And now two years after I saw you post about it, I've bought the watch. Yeah. And your post for the brand didn't work, right? Because it didn't drive sales. Because that's not how that works. You know, the the process from discovery to becoming you know, to purchase is, is long. And a lot of times in meetings, if clients are, are asking, you know, saying sales is, is their big KPI, I'll say like, tell me about the last new brand you became a customer of. And they'll give me one. I'll say, okay, like, now think about the journey it took you to like becoming that. Where did you first hear about them? Okay, this. And how long ago was that? And then what? And then, and when they look back on that journey, I think they think like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Like, so that's not how people shop. They don't see an ad and buy it often. Now there's, you know, there's exceptions of course, but, um, but that's, you know, that's something I think most of our clients understand and know that, you know, what influencers are doing is, is, is that first click top of the funnel, you know, driving awareness and driving interest, which is, you know, which is really important, you know, and they're, they're not as focused on on sales. Um, but that's, you know, it's tough because if you look at Facebook's ad platform, it's so powerful where you put a dollar in five spits out the other side. Yeah, You put a dollar into influencer marketing, sometimes 10 cents spits out the other side. And so you look at that and say, okay, well, you know, what I'm doing on Facebook is 50 times more effective than what I'm doing with influencers but it's two totally different things. So right. that's a conversation that we have a lot. Like it's more direct, it's brand impression versus, you know, sales. Yes. Yeah. And Facebook is taking credit for a lot of what taking credit. Those ads are taking credit for a lot of the work y'all are doing. You drive, you know, again, let's say you do a post, swipe up, I swipe up on it. Now they've cookied me. Now they're serving me ads. And two weeks later I buy it off one of their ads and they say, look, that Facebook ad worked. Right but it was your you driving me to the page so that they could cookie me and then get me to eventually purchase it. 
it's it's all part of the ecosystem and 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 you know most marketers understand that if you're like my only thing i'm going to spend money on is influencer marketing uh, you know i'd be like that's a terrible idea yeah it's a you know it's it's how does this fit into you know the much larger ecosystem of, of advertising? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. I use the same explanation for a lot of brands that I pitch to on my own in my team. Um, so pulling data from Instagram and all of these social networks, do you ever think with the business what happens if these platforms don't exist anymore? So we have always been platform agnostic, and uh, you know we're doing a lot of TikTok work now. We did not a lot last year we did none the year before obviously mm -hmm. so you know we i said earlier that advertising follows attention and that's true right it's it's you're purchasing eyeballs that aren't looking at you on their own so you're forcing people to look at your message with money uh, that's all advertising is and so wherever people are spending their time that is where we will be the idea of these social platforms isn't going anywhere. They will change, but like, this is not a fad. We can exist without Instagram existing. I mean, we've launched because of blogs and Tumblr. Yeah. And blogs are still powerful, but Tumblr is not. So we've made that transition. You know, then we were all, you know, lots of YouTube and Instagram, then really heavy on Instagram. And now Instagram, YouTube, TikTok are kind of owning things. And I imagine next year it'll be maybe even 50-50 TikTok, Instagram. So I think we can be, you know, we can be flexible um, and make sure that, you know, we stay on top of those things. We just hired two new strategists specifically, you know, focusing a lot on TikTok. Uh, I don't spend as much time on TikTok as I do Instagram. It's not my preferred platform, mm -hmm. but we need to make sure we have people in-house that are living and breathing that and understanding it so that our clients you know, understand how to operate there. I think with the business, you have to be on top of everything. At every point, you have to know what's going on within this space so you can transition or make progress as you should. But as a person, and you just said you can hire strategists and all of these people who can take care of those things, but you overseeing the brand, that's a lot of work that more people realize. So what do you do to find balance within yourself or just keep your sin? Yeah, I am uh, honestly struggling with that. I think that... There are times, especially when the business grows, where you have to recalibrate your life a little bit. And, you know, we've hired 22 people this year so far. We've got about 60 people at the company. And it is eating my life completely, you know. And, and uh, I'm doing a really, I think, bad job of, of finding balance. And part of it's because that's really fun. You know, it's really fun to have a business that's growing like that. Mm -hmm. um, when you're growing like that, every system and process that you have breaks. So you have to redo all of it. Everyone is feeling overwhelmed because not only do they have to do their work, but now they have to, they have 20 people they have to train and get ramped up. And it's, it's incredibly overwhelming. The thing about, especially I think being a first time CEO as I am, there's also no, I mean, there's no guidebook. Nobody, there's like literally no one to tell you what to do. Right. You know, in other jobs, you have somebody that says, okay, well, here's your responsibilities and I'm going to check in and make sure that's okay. And I've got, you know, I have a board that I answer to and that is really supportive and helpful. But day to day, you know, 
when you're at the pointy end of the spear, as it were, like there's just, there's no roadmap for it. And, and everything that goes wrong is your fault. Of course. <laughs> and, 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 and so like, and a lot is going wrong at the same time that a lot is going right. And your staff is coming to you saying, you know, we don't know how to handle this new scenario and it's really difficult. And I think it's something that entrepreneurs at growing companies always do. How do I make sure I stay healthy and I continue to prioritize exercise and seeing my friends and reading and, and just relaxing. And I'm in one of those periods right now that I, I'm doing a really bad job at taking care of myself. I'm working too many 14 hour days, mm -hmm. too many weekends. And you can only do that for so long before you like snap. So I was like really happy. I like went to go to work this morning and realized I didn't take my computer out of my briefcase all weekend. And that felt like, okay. Cause I'd just been through like, you know, 23 days where I worked every single day. And it's just like, that's just not healthy. But yeah. also sometimes it's like, this stuff has to get done. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no one to do it. Especially when you're in the city. Yeah. I can relate to that. I feel like every holiday for the last six years, just at the end of the year, I'm just like, I feel burned out. I feel tired. I feel like everything I work for, I don't even really get to enjoy it because like, I want to just sleep and just not interact with anything. Yeah. So, and I and think it's a work in progress. And for you guys, it's, it's, it's harder, I think, because I am not the product. You know, we have products and you know we have ways of doing things and we make money on those but i think what people don't understand about influencers is that like you are the product and to make money you have to be involved in it in some way right and it is relentless you know um, it hasn't gotten better you think it would but yeah <laughs> and the scale goes up and the, the what you charge goes up as your following does and all of that. But it's still, you know, I think that I have the really fun experience sometimes of like, just looking back and being like, there's so much going on at this company that I have no idea about what it is. Just because there's so many talented people who have just taken their roles and they're running with it and they're so much better at their job than I ever could be. But for influencers, like, it's hard because you can't just clone there can't be three of you yeah that just do things so i'm sure you feel that that even for for y'all when you're trying to get a release trying to relax there's pressure to cover cover that on stories to talk to your audience about that which then it just becomes work it's very interesting i wonder if people still react to those forms of connection in the same way um like they once did um but with your business is there any time you felt that you were in a balanced space yeah like evens you know it evens it ebbs and flows and i think that you know some of it is like for me it's good to be like okay this is not sustainable i need to like figure this out and start to prioritize making sure i get on my bike and i'm eating healthy and i'm um you know taking my girlfriend out to dinner so she doesn't leave me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I've gotten better, I think, at recognizing those things and knowing it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, you of know? Course. I think that, like, what we do in the next two weeks is really important. It's not as important as what we do in the next two months, mm -hmm. which is not as important as what we do in the next two years. And understanding that perspective helps me to start to make the decision to say, you know what, I know... I said I would finish this today, but actually I'm going to go for a bike ride this afternoon. I'm not going to finish it. 
um, and that's okay. That's okay. And and so yeah, it'll 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 level out. So on top of dealing with those things, balance, for example, and you know, I want to bring up something that happened yes last year mm -hmm. with the Black Lives Matter movement and this entire controversy about four card not paying certain people equally. How does something like that make you feel? Because I've seen you do panels like you did one with us as well for Bond Official, and I think a lot of the time you're asked about, well, what are you doing to fix this versus what it actually feels like to be in a leading position where. It is not exactly what it might look like. Yeah. So I think, you know, last summer was traumatic and difficult for a lot of people. And, and the difficulty of, of a community that we work with asking questions of us and, and us coming through and answering them, you know, pales in comparison, I think, to the trauma that that community of our, you know, black and brown influencers was, was going through that summer. And, you know, I think in, in that, specific scenario the first thing for us was to figure out like is this true you know the idea that four was paying black and white influencers different amounts of money felt you know to go against our values and did not feel like the way that we were operating but the first thing to do was to find like well is there truth in that and so you know, we looked at the last $10 million that we had paid out and found there was no difference between what, you know, we paid black and white influencers, that 65% of that $10 million went to non-white influencers. And so that felt like in line with our values. And so that, you know, was nice to see that data. And then the bigger, more important question was that, like, it doesn't mean that the relationship between four and that community is perfect and I think it was pretty clear that we misunderstood the kind of health metrics of that relationship and if black influencers were feeling undervalued by us there's not much of a difference in that and being undervalued yeah right and so we had to address that and I think we made you know about 30 commitments to improve our business ones that you know we continue to update the community on we just did a post last week with we have a quarterly update on all of those uh, metrics and and we are also transparent with the community on what we pay white black uh brown influencers across you know all ethnicities we release all of that data uh, on a quarterly basis so all of that you know i think has made us a much better company you know and and so for me to have a couple of weeks, a couple of months of a little bit of pain, being scared, you know, like not knowing if you can get through this, if you can repair that relationship with that community. Because it also affects your relationships with the clients you have of as course. well, right? I yeah. mean, you know, the clients give us a lot of leeway and they said, is this true? Because this isn't what, you know, what we would expect. Right. Um, and again, so... I don't think, I think if that, you know, if that came back as true, I don't think we have much of a business anymore. Right. But the work that we continue to do is around repairing that relationship. I think trying to regain some authenticity so that we feel like we can lead. You can't lead an industry if people don't see you as a leader. Right. Right. You don't get to just decide. And it doesn't really matter. It's not just money. 
how much money you make and how big you are that that gives you a leadership position so yeah i think that like we took it as an opportunity and and a, a necessity to get better right and um i you know i think we've done that and uh the company i think across the board the way that we operate is is much more transparent much more fair you know one of the things we were really honest about was that you know for while we had focused on diversity we didn't have many black employees that was a problem that we had seen diversity as like zero sum of just like white versus non-white right you know but um but that we had to do better there i think we've you know we've become down you know 10 or 15 percentage points on like how you know white uh the company is so like we've continued to really work on on hiring more diverse staff especially the people executing campaigns right right because that's so important because they're ultimately the ones choosing the influencers the ones setting the strategies for brands so yeah so uh, you know i think we come out of that stronger i think more in tune with our community mm-hmm. um trying to listen much more closely and yeah just excited to continue doing that work it's very impressive that you're taking care of the community in that way i always say that it takes so much guts to do that because i know i for one just addressing things publicly i like to do things on my own terms and i feel like if i can justify that i'm doing something and it's not what the public might think it is i don't feel like i have to address it because i'm fine with just knowing Mm -hmm. that that's not what the thing is so i think care enough about the community to want to boldly update them like you've done in posts and you know doing panels and interviews is very commendable it's very impressive so thank you for doing that of course yeah and and you know i think that it becomes hopefully your business becomes bigger than you right right? and very true and I, so much of, of my life, I, I think of like in service of this business, you know, I now have almost 60 people who are dedicating a huge portion of their life to trying to make my dreams come true. And, uh, you know, I need to do the things that there are certain times when, you know, as a leader, you have to stand up and, and, and be willing to say like, Hey, we're wrong. And I think that there is a when people get criticized, especially on the internet, there's this instinct to say like, you're misunderstanding me rather than like stepping back and saying like, I need to work harder to understand your perspective right? and see myself, you know, get that second sight, be able to see myself from your point of view to actually understand my actions because my intentions don't matter if you're not understanding it. Yeah. yeah. If the it's way other people across. are perceiving it, it differs from that. You have to take, I think, those those difficult times as an opportunity for extreme growth. Because I think the things that we were able to enact at four last summer would have taken us potentially years. Like it, Probably that like all those things were where we were going, but it probably would have taken us years to, to get there. But we like said, okay, let's put our heads down. This is very important and let's figure this out now. And then let's keep talking about it because I think a lot of companies have, you know, got called out and moved on, said they're sorry, moved on. But we don't exist without our influencers. The industry, as I said, doesn't exist without influencers. And so 
you know, we have to make sure that those relationships stay strong. What types of trends do you see happening in the space in the next five years with the way brands deal with influencers and how influencers see brands past the, I'm just going to do a post or two or do this video and that's the collaboration. Do you think that influencer marketing will still be sustainable? So first I think it's like interesting to zoom out more and think about what's happening in the world. And, you know, I was talking to, um, this investor the other day, very smart woman. And, uh, you know, she was like, I think that that what is happening in the creator and influencer space right now is the beginning of the largest shift in consumer behavior since World War II. And in world, you know, after World War II, everyone moved to the suburbs. They moved out of cities. It changed advertising. It changed commerce. It changed everything. Mm -hmm. You think about the internet, you know, internet and e-com that's important but that's still you would buy something in one place you would go to a store now you're just going to their store online mm -hmm. we're talking about decentralizing everything from money with bitcoin to media to shopping you know and in the next in 10 years what percentage of the things that you purchase are going to be through a influencer or creator rather than through direct directly through the store how many brands are we going to start to have many more micro brands rather than huge ones mm -hmm. you know as as production gets easier and more streamlined and all those things right like if i follow you and i love the way that you dress and you've got a line of suits that you do and you can offer them at the same price as you know a similar price as suit supply then like why would i go to suit supply and again, this is not just happening with influencers. Um, it's happening with arguably the most complex thing we have, which is money with media, music, movies. Like it's all, it's all happened. Decentralization right. is happening. And so influencers are going to only become more important. Also, like big reason we built AMP is consumers are also getting a following. And so... You know, I think of influencers as like digital one percenters, right? But like, what about the other 99%? You know, my mom has a thousand followers. Let's say in, in a few years, she's got, you know, three or 4,000. Like, how does a brand, how does that change a brand's relationship with her? You know, and it's becoming more and more important that brands almost build little cults around them. This is why Porsches continue to be successful. Mm. You know, this is why Rolex is successful. This is why Glossier is successful. It's making sure the brand becomes a part of your identity and you feel like you're part of something and allowing brands to build that community to offer something special and to understand that like, I need every consumer who purchases my product to talk about it on social. How do I do that? And, and how do I harness the power of every person who's buying something that probably has some semblance of a following? And so, you know, I don't know that I'm smart enough to totally understand the implications of all of that. And there's a lot of insight and what, you know, the next five to 10 years looks like. But if you, if there's people out there still saying this is a fad, this is a bubble, then like, I think that like, they're probably grossly mistaken, misinformed yeah. and mistaken <laughs> about where the future is going and the, that this is, we have only, 
We've only scratched, scratched the surface, the surface of, of what's happening. We just have to find ways to rethink how to make it better. Can I ask what you've been hearing from your influencer friends about how the business is in a time like COVID for them? Yeah, I think it's it's up and down. I mean, I think the space, and this is this here's a continued trend, right? The space gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. It also gets more competitive. You know, I said early on, right? Like when I was putting photos on the internet, professional photographers weren't. So... I didn't have a lot of competition content wise. If I quit my job tomorrow and was like, I'm going to be an influencer, I wouldn't be able to do it because the, the, the quality level and the talent of people operating today versus 10 years ago, it's incomparable. So while the space gets bigger, so does the supply of creators. And as that happens, I think people who've been in the space for a while, find that it could be harder for you to get an individual deal even as the space gets bigger right and you know something we talk a lot about is the difference between audience and influence and so do you have a following of people that are just watching you or do you have real influence over that audience and a lot of what we try and do in the technology we build is how do i understand the relationship you have with your audience how influential what you say is to them because what we want to create is action you know we want to make sure that when you say something not only does your audience hear it see it but they retain it they listen to it and it has you know the ability to change their their idea or their mind about something influencers who have that substance that substantive relationship with their audience already are and will continue to be i think the like the gold standard that people are looking for. Interesting. I've never thought about it that way, but I've always known that there is some sort of differentiation. I think over the years, I've personally struggled with the word influencer because I see how some of my other friends go about directing their audience and how they create content. And I go, well, I don't think I do that in that way. But also I'm so taken over by the other things that I'm doing that I feel like I can't just like be an influencer in the way that I know other people Mm -hmm. to be. And I never really found a label for that, except just, you know, do you feel like your audience like watches you and sort of just follows what you do? Or do you have a genuine relationship where you talk to them and interact in that way? That's really, really interesting. Do you think that that influencer could possibly make a transition, even though it's been so long? If they're not if they're not building that relationship with their audience mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, I think you can. I mean, I think, but you don't have to, right? It's it's like audience is still important and valuable. Yeah, It's just not as valuable as having influence, right? It's the difference between, you know, a billboard versus your friend telling you something is great. It's true. You see the billboard enough, it could get your attention. Or you're like, I keep seeing that. What is that thing? You know, eyeballs will always be valuable for marketers. Think about marketing. So much of the job is do more people know about your brand today than they did yesterday. And so you can always sell eyeballs, but being able to sell action and influence is is always going to be more, you know, marketable. So can you build that? Yeah. You know, things we look at a lot is like we find the people that speak to camera generally have a deeper relationship even if you take a TikTok star and put them onto Instagram, their engagement is crazy because a lot of times it's videos. Very personal, yeah. YouTubers, same thing. And the people that just speak to camera a bunch, we find that they build more of that relationship with their audience. But there's a flip side to that, right? If you're talking to your audience all the time that way, luxury brands might be like, mm, it doesn't really feel very luxury. 
Right. You know, that feels a bit like basic. Yeah. <laughs> um, which or is easily fine. accessible. Yeah. Which so a lot of people have an issue with every, that's the thing is like, we tell brands like there is no perfect influencer. There's no t- perfect type of influencer. There is a perfect influ- influencer for this project at this time, at this following, at this price, you know, for this product. And that is what our job is, is, you know, I love the content that you do. I love the way you run the account and everything else that's part of your life. That's bigger than, bigger than just the feed, but like, you're not perfect for every project, which makes you perfect for some. Right. And brands understanding that, that like, it's not about, can I just get five people with a following to post about this, but can I get the right five um, who are really going to make a difference here is so important because yeah, that, that really approachable influencer that's got a deep relationship with their audience. That's talking to camera every day. I, I don't know if they're the best person to, you know, introduce a new watch from Cartier. Yeah. True. Very true. Since you've been talking about influencer marketing for so long in this space, do you ever have ideas of other things that you might want to transition into or do? So, I mean, no. <laughs> I love that answer, though. Yeah, I'm no. so jealous of people with that answer. I don't think I'll ever get another chance in my life to be running a company that is seen as one of the leaders in a space. Mm-hmm. And that space has the ability to change the world, you know, at the scale that this one does. Can four have 500 employees? Can have a thousand? Can I do half a billion in revenue can i do a billion can i go public i want to take this as far as it can possibly go right and i think that you know i i'm i'm more invested and excited than i was day one and that's that's not true for every entrepreneur a lot of times they you're in the years where it's a slog and i haven't really changed my life from a money standpoint in any significant or fundamental way there's still no like payoff. I haven't, you know, I haven't taken money off the table. I haven't, obviously we haven't sold uh, the company and eight years in, it's not like, okay, the finish line's right close. I'm just running towards the finish line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just like, what a blessing that I get to like have this idea that, you know, has grown into this thing that continues to challenge me and to force me to grow. I think growth is the most important thing to living a satisfied life. Mm. And it's hard to consistently grow. You need challenges, you know? And so, you know, I feel, I just feel really, yeah, excited and and happy that I get to do this and, and hope I don't screw it up. (laughs) What does, I'm not, I don't think you will at all. You've been doing such a fantastic job. (laughs) I think the biggest compliment or characteristic in a businessman is consistency. And I believe that you have been very, very consistent and in a way that helps other people outside of yourself. And what is the most idealized version of four in your mind? It's a great question. I could say like the things, the moments that I feel like we're doing the right thing is back when events used to happen and we'd have events in our office and someone would come up to me and say, Hey, I, I was able to quit my job because of the work that I got through for or pay off my student loans. And, you know, by the end of this year, I think we will have paid out in our campaign business over $50 million to, wow. to you know, to a new kind of entrepreneur. 
you know, and, and we're supporting, you know, in some ways thousands of people and being able to live this life that 10 years ago wouldn't have been possible. They would have had to work corporate somewhere. They would have had to done jobs that maybe they didn't love. And, you know, I think that's something that's, that's sustains all of us at, at four, but it's also bigger than that. You know, we have 130,000 people on the platform. We'll never get to work with all of them. This was one of the problems that we realized in our communication last summer was that people thought I'm going to sign up for four and I'm going to get paid. Right. But like with that many people, there's just no way, you know? And so how can we give away education and give things away if we're not working directly with people, help them understand their value as it pertains to their social platforms, understand how to pitch themselves uh, and go out there and build these these new kinds of businesses that some of which are ending up being really pretty big, you know? And uh, I think that that's, you know, that's the thing that's, that's really fun. Like being in a constant progression of doing better. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's always, always lovely to see you. Always lovely to see you. And you look fantastic, by hey. the way, for everyone who's listening. Most gorgeous suit. Thank love you. Love that watch. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you know, you with the colors. I wish, <laughs> I wish I could pull it off. I still dream about that pink number you wore to the uh, oh. Vov Clicquot that one year. Thank you. Was yeah. Perfect. Feels like so long ago. I Until know. next time. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you.